Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Project Brief. Uh, this is the place where we make science simple and it's a lovely podcast where me and uh, Jay Ringo, say hi Jay Ringo. Hello. We are here to discuss soccer. Do you like soccer, Jerry? What? I love soccer. Why, also, why are you calling it soccer? Isn't it football Well, you'll for find you? out later in the episode. <laughs> okay. All right. It's a very interesting thing. And we're going to be discussing Einstein at home. And there's a specific thing about Einstein at home that has some relevance to soccer. And I'm going to show you later on. But yeah, today we're going to be talking about Einstein at home. It's a Boink project. If you don't know what a Boink project is, you should go check it out. Boink.berkeley.edu, I think. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, or just search up Boink, you can find it there. And it's where you can contribute to science with pretty much the click of a button. Now, Einstein at Home is an old project on Boink. It's been here for quite a number of years. It started out in uh, 2005, I think it was. And its aim is to detect uh, gamma ray pulsars, binary radio pulsars, and gravitational waves. And so that's a big mouthful. We're going to um, deduce what each of them are. And we're going to rip them apart and figure them out and why they're important as well and why soccer is important to them as well. Now, uh, Einstein at home has radio telescopes, and they also have the Fermi Gamma Ray Telescope, as well as LIGO, and uh, some other radio telescopes. I think they also um, they also use, in conjunction with them, some of the radio telescopes that SETI at home actually does. So I, th I think they all sort of work together, and that's what needs to happen in these sorts of astronomical projects, because there's so much stuff spinning out in space, and they're giving off so many different radiation sources, we need to know pretty much all of them. So, in talking about radio waves and uh, gamma rays, there's a big, big difference. Radio waves can't hurt you. They're the ones that you use to listen to your radio, and they're given off by pretty small and not very energetic sources. Gamma rays, on the other hand, are very powerful. They are ionizing, which means they can cause damage to cells in your body, and they're given off by very, very, very powerful sources. And finally, the other waves that we're going to be talking about are also gravitational waves, but we're going to talk about that later. So. Einstein at home, like SETI at home, uses something called fast Fourier transform, which means they have to collect a whole lot of signal data from their telescopes, and then they go through it, and they look for patterns. That's what the fast Fourier transform is. It looks for little patterns. And uh, yeah, that's basically what the entire project does. So your computer will be going through all this signal data and saying, hmm, does it look like a wave? Hmm, does it look like a supernova? Does it look like a gravitational wave? Does it look like that? And so that's basically what your computer will be doing when you go through Einstein at home. So the one key thing that Einstein at home looks for is pulsars. Now, what a pulsar stands for is a rotating neutron star or a pulsating neutron star. And so what a neutron star is, essentially, it's a very, very, very dense star. All right? It's no longer giving off the heat that it does as it was in its infancy stage. This is after the star has gone supernova. And so once the star goes boom, boom, it compresses into a really, really tiny ball, um, usually about the size of a city, actually. Uh, and this is one of the ways that a star can die and then turn into a neutron star, essentially. But there is a small chance that when the star goes supernova, it's, uh, it causes the neutron star, uh, the resulting matter, to spin extremely fast. And when these neutron stars spin really fast, they emit gamma rays from the top and the bottom of the axis of rotation. So just how the Earth rotates on an axis of a little bit of a degree, so it's like slightly tilted when it faces the sun, at the north and south pole of that, it'll be emitting gamma rays. Not the Earth, the pulsars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now there's a very important thing about pulsars. Because they emit gamma rays, and also some of them emit radio waves too, uh, 
they emit them sort of like a lighthouse. They're, they're like a lighthouse. When we see them from Earth, they make little blips, all right? Or they might make like little sine waves, maybe. Or, But the key thing is they're repetitive, and they're going to stay that way for a very long time. I mean, you, you've got like spinning tops that you've played around with as a kid. They lasted for a little while, but then they, they then they fizzled out. That's because there's friction with the ground and there's friction with the air and there's friction with all sorts of stuff. Out there in space, there's no friction. There's barely anything out there. So these things will last for a very, very long time. And that's why they can be used for stellar navigation. And so hopefully one day when we become a super technical techno race that goes into the solar system and goes into stellar, we can maybe use these to actually navigate. And <laughs> yeah, sorry, you said techno race. <laughs> yeah, techno race. <laughs> we'll have much more techno music. <laughs> okay. And so because these last so long, we can use them for navigation. And funnily enough, if you take a look on, I think it's the Voyager, if I'm not mistaken, um, or one of the satellites that they shot out there and now it's off pretty much outside of our solar system. It contains a little plaque. Hopefully most of you have seen the plaque. It has a picture of human on it. It has a picture of all sorts of different stuff. But it also has a very interesting little pattern that looks like it's got something in the center and it's got spikes going out of it. And what that actually is, is it's the pulsars that are surrounding our solar system. And so hopefully, maybe an alien race might know about pulsars in order to figure out, oh, yeah. So if we go to the center of that pulsar and that pulsar and that pulsar, we can triangulate the area of where these this civilization came from. So hopefully we might bring the aliens to us rather than finding the aliens first with SETI at home. <laughs> nice. So now <laughs> on to gravitational waves. So we're moving away from stellar navigation now. Now, gravitational waves are a little bit different. So... If you can imagine driving a boat on water and how it causes ripples to go out from the back side of the boat, that's sort of what gravi gravity, uh, gravitational waves are. And so when you put, like, say, a ping pong ball on the water, it'll move the ping pong ball up and down. That's sort of how gravitational waves work. But essentially, just like how sound is a back and forth motion of the air, gravitational waves are a back and forth motion of gravity. So when there is gravity and then suddenly the gravity gets pulled away or then the gravity comes again and then pulled back away, that's what creates a gravitational wave. Another way gravitational waves are created is when there's um, what's called a binary pair of neutron stars or black holes. And so what a binary pair means is two. So it means there's two black holes or two neutron stars that are orbiting each other. And because of Einstein's theories, and this is exactly what Einstein at home is for, pretty much to prove Einstein's theories, because those two very highly dense objects, and they cause a lot of gravity, they, they make a lot of gravity, because they're so highly gravitational, their pull sort of creates waves as they orbit each other. And so some of that energy gets lost through the gravitational waves getting pushed out. And then eventually... They'll get so close together that they spin very, very, very fast. They produce very, very strong gravitational waves, and then bang, okay? They become one singular object, and they make one big gravitational pulse. Now, Jay Ringo, I think you have the sound of two black holes colliding on your soundboard, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. This is your opportunity. <laughs> I'm no longer going to be angry. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Uh, I have to load it up, but <laughs> I do okay, have well, it. I'll, I'll, continue, I'll continue doing it. You just pop it up whenever you got it. <laughs> All right. I will interrupt you with the sound of black holes colliding. Yeah. Okay, and so these gravitational waves, you might think they're really strong because, geez, black holes are like 
pretty big, right? And they're really, really, really dense. Like pretty much their core, their singularity is infinitely dense. So you'd think they'd make some really big wave. They are on the very big. Uh, say again, sorry? The black holes are on very big. Well, I'm talking in terms of in terms of mass. Yeah, I was yeah. playing it. I screwed up. I forgot to push the button. I got the black holes ready for you, though. <laughs> oh, this is a catastrophe. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's working. It's just wonderful, beautiful chaos. Here we go. Oh, you just made my day by letting me play that, Delta. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. And so those little blips that you heard there um, were essentially the, what's called the chirps of the black hole. And so that's one of the key things that Einstein at home was looking for and actually found it. Uh, I know a couple of years back, they made a little paper saying that they listened to two black holes collide and it sounds like that little blip there. Um so, yeah, essentially, um, the way we detect these things is through um, what Einstein at home uses, which is called LIGO, which is laser, which is called a laser interferometer gravitational wave observatory. All right. Now, these things are really, 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 really sensitive. Okay. These gravitational waves are so, so, so small that if Earth was to be hit by a gravitational wave, it would move everything back and forth by about one ten thousandth the width of a proton. All right, to put that into perspective, that's about one millionth of a trillionth of the size of a grain of rice. Okay, so these things are extremely sensitive. And so the way they work is they basically have two really long arms, and I'm talking about like three kilometers long. All right, in those arms, they're perpendicular, so it looks like a, like uh, half of a square. So it goes in one direction and then in another direction, perpendicular. Like an L. Like an L. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. I woke <laughs> up too late today. <laughs> uh, oh, great um, song. Great song. <laughs> I haven't drunk my tea yet. I'm saving it for the Boink Radio. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so basically there's lasers that go down the, these big L shapes. They are fired at supposedly the exact same time. They reflect off of the mirrors at the back and they come straight back to the center of the L. Now, these things are so long that they have to compensate for the curvature of the Earth. And essentially, when a gravitation wave hits them, supposedly, one of the lasers will come back slower than the other because of the way that the gravitational wave is polarized. But we're not going to get into that sort of, that sort of Because physics. one of the arms gets longer or shorter. Essentially, yeah. And as we said, um, it'll move everything back and forth by about one millionth of a trillionth the size of a grain of rice. And so that movement will sort of push the light wave back a bit and make it come back slower. And so using that interference pattern, which it gets when it detects two things coming back slower, we can then pretty much see the gravitation wave in effect. And then this is where the soccer comes in. There's <laughs> a very fun fact. Bring it on. Okay. At LIGO, there are engineers that run up and down the arms of the detector every now and then, randomly, just to be sure that the scientists are completely unbiased. And what they do is they kick the detector. This is because you kick a soccer ball? Yep, so these, okay. these engineers right. should supposedly be good at soccer, so it involves a lot of kicking. <laughs> this still doesn't explain why you called it soccer and not football. It's because in Australia we call it soccer. You do? Oh, I love yeah. you guys. That's great. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And so basically, uh, just like how SETI at home puts out what's called birdies, which are fake signals that they make sure that the scientists are unbiased. Einstein at home have their own birdies, which is basically just people going out and kicking their detectors. Uh, and 
surprisingly, these detectors are extremely robust and they barely even detect you kicking it. And it's pretty phenomenal the amount of technology that they have in there to be able to just like ensure that there is absolutely no interference. It is really phenomenal. If you ever want to see pictures of LIGO, I definitely recommend you go and search it up because it is pretty phenomenal. There's a detector in America uh, and there's also, I think, a detector in Italy. If I'm not mistaken, there's one somewhere else in the world. And because there's three of them, or at least two of them, you can pretty much triangulate where something came from, which is very important to astronomers. Now, um, that pretty much brings us to the end of the project brief. And uh, this project, um, Einstein at Home, it runs on your CPU and your GPU. So if you have any of that sort of hardware, you can run Einstein at Home and you can help uh, detect pulsars, which can be used for navigation later on in our um, later on in our civilization when we become a super advanced, society. super techno. Yep. Um, <laughs> And yeah, so if you feel if you feel like you enjoy searching for signals, go Einstein at home. If you prefer aliens, go SETI. <laughs> um, otherwise, uh, yeah, if you don't have a good computer or um, you prefer to use your brain instead of your computer, there's also a lovely platform that I love to um, that I love to publicize. It's Zooniverse.org. Uh, it's basically an online platform for volunteer science. You can go online and basically just solve puzzles. It's sort of like pretty much filling out a survey sometimes, but other times it's actually identifying stuff. Like there's one project up there where you can literally click on fish and help scientists figure out um, patterns of migration with fish and to ensure that pretty much their fish colonies are healthy. And so, yeah, I, I love Zooniverse.org. I do my own streams on it. And um, it's a great time, especially with the coronavirus, if you're in self-isolation or quarantine, this is a great thing to um, keep your boredom at bay. <laughs> but yeah, um, anyway, uh, that concludes it. We're going to move on to questions. And next time on the Project Brief, which is in another two weeks, I'll be talking about Rosetta at home. And we're going to give a little update on... Um, essentially how Rosetta's been doing with the coronavirus, even though we've been pretty much doing that on the Boink Radio. It probably deserves an update because I think I've done the project brief before and we'll update you on exactly what it's doing. So are there any questions? Uh, so with the, the, the pulsars are little little stars we can look at uh, and, and guide ourselves with. What about the gravitational waves? Like what's so cool about finding them? Why was that such a breakthrough when they first detected a gravitational wave a couple years ago? Yeah, it was because it pretty much confirmed exactly Einstein's theories. Einstein said that there exist waves that occur through gravitation, uh, and they occur when essentially objects collide or gravity comes in and then immediately goes out and then comes back in. And so we learned about that. Now that we know about gravitational waves, we can apply that to all sorts of different systems. For example, you might not know that the Earth orbiting the Sun is not exactly precise. Right? It's more or less elliptical. But I'm not talking about that precise. I'm talking about the fact that it doesn't always follow the exact same orbit. The reason why is essentially because of general relativity, which is what Einstein at home managed to prove finding the gravitational waves. And so what will happen is because the Earth is orbiting the sun, it might lose a tiny bit of energy in, in that orbit in producing a gravitational wave. Now, because of that, it pretty much tilts the orbit sort of thing. All right? And that's what's called eccentricity of the orbit and so because we know now you einstein's relativity uh, say again sorry you mean inclination uh it might be but i'm pretty sure if i remember um eccentricity uh is the how much the um how much how the much is orbit yeah sort of thing like that so because of gravitational waves the eccentricity and actually sometimes the inclination i think too i think if i remember correctly from what i read the inclination can some sometimes get 
thrown off a little bit too. And so now we know that we can actually, we, we should be tracking the Earth's orbit to make sure that it is still elliptical or it still was the path that we thought it was. Because it is essentially constantly changing because we now know that when big stuff orbits other big stuff, it loses energy and gets sort of closer together. So yeah, that's, cool. that's the science we got from it other than essentially navigation. So when I hear gravitational wave, I think light wave, sound wave. Uh, is a gravitational and, and like we use sound and light waves to uh see the universe and that's the only things we've used for many 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 years essentially all our, our history uh are gravitational waves the same sort of thing or do they open our eyes sort of to a whole new realm of of seeing the universe uh well it is it yeah it pretty much opens our eyes to a whole new part of the universe and so just like how we use our eyes to see light waves and how we use our ears to hear sound waves we use our sense of touch to feel gravitational waves but as i said before you can't really feel them because <laughs> if we were to be hit by one we'd move back and forth by one millionth of a trillionth the size of a grain of rice so we can't feel them but einstein at home can feel them <laughs> do you think we'll be using like gravitational wave sensors to look out into the cosmos and like maybe see some dark matter or some cool stuff that you can't really see using uh, light telescopes or radio telescopes yeah, that is possible. Um, I just from what you were saying, I think probably we might use it for some sort of um, space cartography, maybe like possibly if we're an interstellar race, we'd probably want to go to the centers of the galaxy where there's the most energy because the most energy we can make the most use of. So if we find some gravitational waves get, that get blipped, it means that there's some pretty big black holes there. So we say, oh, okay, let's go over there. There's some black holes over there. So, which usually means that all the matter gets attracted to it and a presto, we got loads of energy. So that's one use that we could have for gravitational waves other than the navigation for the pulsars and all sorts of stuff like that. Cool. I wonder if our under, like expanding our understanding of gravi uh, gravitational waves is going to expand our understanding of gravity and maybe one day we can have that gravity plating that they have on, on all those space shows. Then we can have artificial gravity. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> Maybe. We just need another Einstein to come about to give us anti-gravity. <laughs> His name is Meme Master. I is an Oddish. His name is Alkabir. <laughs> Sorry, Meme Master, for calling you out, but you have such a great, great icon. Hey, we're giving him publicity. <laughs> <laughs> He's famous now. Uh, that's all the questions I got for you. Okay, uh, anyone else have any more questions? Uh, it looks like there's no questions in the chat. All right, uh, I guess I'll conclude it. So, yep, uh, make sure you meet me in the next two weeks um, from the from this recording, but uh, it happens every second Friday, just before the Boink Radio. Um, and uh, yeah, next time I'll be doing Rosetta at home. We'll take a look at more protein folding, considering we've come, we're, considering we're coming to the end of our um, tribute to SETI at home and space. So we'll move on to something that's a little bit more relevant. All right, have a good one, everyone. Yay, bye. <laughs>